This is exactly right. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. A big announcement to make right now. This is our 2018 winter slash spring tour. Get ready to see if your city is involved. Yay, go. Karen, you start. January 20th, we're going to be at the Red Rock Ballroom in Las Vegas, Nevada. On January 21st, we're going to be at the Celebrity Theater in Phoenix, Arizona. On January 26th, we're going to be at the Orpheum Theater in New Orleans, baby. That's going to be fun. January 27th, Cobb Energy Performing Arts Center, Atlanta. Atlanta. January 29th, Andrew Jackson Hall in Nashville, Tennessee. February 2nd, Connor Palace, Cleveland, Ohio. February 3rd, Palace Theater, Columbus, Ohio. February 16th, Kinsbury house uh salt lake city utah <laughs> what happened i don't know <laughs> march 16th orpheum theater los angeles Yay! okay and then ready may 8th thicker street dublin ireland hello ireland hi may 9th uh folka Terret. i have no idea don't what that word is try. we're in oslo, oslo baby we're in oslo what norway may 11th china theater stockholm sweden um sweden that's my birthday so you better buy me a cake oh shit may 12th hammersmith apollo london we're fucking playing the hammersmith apollo in london finally london may 13th uh royal northern college of music manchester uk (laughs) manchester manchester and may 16th mervart amsterdam the netherlands (laughs) we're going to oslo and amsterdam what is happening (laughs) so crazy okay so on monday the 23rd of october the ticket links on my favorite murder.com slash live and on social media will go up and then on wednesday the 25th we'll have a fan pre-sale the password will be all caps murderino so if you want to get these tickets early fan style you have to go and enter the password all caps Murderino. So if you go to myfairmurder.com slash live and click on whatever place you want to buy it and then, you know, you get, you guys are smarter than us. And then if you don't care that much on Friday, the October 27th, it just goes on sale generally. And then good luck from there. And uh, then God bless you. God bless you. And we'll see you guys in 2018. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Elvis, you want to go on tour? Magic. My mic is here. My mic is here. My mic is here. My mic is here. For an hour and a half.
laugh. That's all we're doing. That's the show. Yay. Comedy. Oh my God, this is the biggest show we've ever done, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Fucking Canada representing yes. big times. Pretty nice. We like you guys more than our own country right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get us a green card or whatever it takes to live here. <laughs> Please. Please don't make us go back. No. We're going to get detained if we say that. Um... We're excited to be here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, guys, can I just explain my outfit really quick? <laughs> Everyone was wondering and waiting. <laughs> I just, I got a job here at the theater um, <laughs> two weeks ago, and I love pulling that curtain. It's just who I am. Um, here's what happened. When we were recently in Australia, I brought um, these high heels with me that took up all this room in my suitcase. And every day I, I scorned them and I, I hated them and I glared at them. And at the end of the 10 day trip, I left them on my hotel room bed. Like, fuck you, you're on your own in a foreign country, piece of shit, high heel shoes. They're on their way back to her right now. <laughs> That's right. Like a sad journey. Ooh, yeah, they're like, they're like those, those cats that can walk all the way home and like their owners move 500 miles away. years later. They're like, here I am, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but I conveniently forgot that when I went to put all my things together for this trip. So I had my fancy, fancy dress last night. And then I realized when I got to the theater, I did not have shoes <laughs> for a very, very fancy dress. And so Georgia's like, that's okay, <laughs> you can wear that. And I'm like, thank God, this is actually what I want to wear. <laughs> the thing is... <laughs> yeah. Let's hear it for theater blacks. <laughs> They're so slimming, or at least you can tell yourself that. <laughs> I just made that up and I never took an improv class. No, I didn't either. <laughs> Did you just know but me? Yep. Um, um, and the thing is, it, it works for you because you're like, you're, you were goth anyways. Where when I had, when we decided to, <laughs> When we decided to wear black to the shows, I had a, like, all I have is, like, fucking paisley shit that, like, Mrs. Roper would wear. <laughs> and, like, crazy moo-moo and, like, vintage things with moth holes in them. So I was like, I have to get a black dress. I, like, literally owned one. So now my closet's full of that. But you, and so you were like, let's wear what we're wearing now. And I just had a shirt on, a gray shirt that said, the husband did it. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I'm like, I can't wear that. What on. more would you want in a show like this? <laughs> you also had a really good... Arthur Fonzarelli leather jacket oh, yeah. on. I was like, this is a great look for us. Let's switch out of uh, the fancy dress area. Yeah. And I support it. Yeah. Well, I did. I do. <laughs> I mean, I will. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, yeah, that's a. But wait, but there is a surprise because George's dress has. <laughs> you guys are like, Celine Dion? No. <laughs> it's even better. George's dress has pockets. Check it out. <laughs> Yes. And I'm wearing, and I'm like, 
I'm blaming it on you, but I'm so fucking happy to be doing it. The <laughs> truth is to not wear my shitty shoes, com- uncomfortable dress shoes out here. Yeah. And wear my fucking stanky ass slip-ons. Look at them. Oh. She bought the first pair of Toms. <laughs> That's them right there on her feet. It's not. No children were helped with these shoes. <laughs> In fact, I think children probably made these shoes. Oh. They're from like a Rexall or something. Yeah. They're, like, they're, they're like, that. you can tell I'm a bad person from across the room by the fact that I bought these shoes. Because you were like, I could buy Toms and support children. Yeah. Ooh, look at these are on sale. Right. Yeah. And I don't like the way Toms go all the way up and the thing and they just don't look good on me. <laughs> so I'm getting these shitty ones and I'm a bad person. Guys. Um, here's the best thing that's happened, I feel like, since we've gone on tour. Today, we pulled off the freeway driving up from Detroit, Rock City. Thank you so much. And, um, <laughs> and we stopped off in Dunham. They don't know it. Because Georgia had to pee, and there was no uh, gas station right off the freeway, so we kind of had to drive into the city a little bit. The town, town. yeah, we'll cute. call it a town. And we pulled over at like a what looked like a little grocery corner grocery mm-hmm. store, and Georgia jumps out. And she's like, "I'll be right back," and runs inside. I had to pee so bad. Um, it was emergency yeah. levels. Yeah. I'm a baby. So then Vince and I are sitting in the minivan. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and. He's like, I have to pee too. And I'm like, yeah, I have to, why aren't we getting out? I have to pee too. We get out and we go into the store. And this store is, is half the size of this stage. Okay. We start walking around. There's no bathroom in the store and Georgia is not in the store. <laughs> and it was 20 seconds max between the time that we went into the store and the time she went into the store. And at first I was like, don't be crazy. You know, like as I'm walking and she's not there and there's no sign that says restroom, there's nothing. And then as I came back this way, I crossed an aisle and I saw Vince walking this way, which means we were both covering all of the store at the same time. And she was not in the store. And then I was just like, this is how it fucking happens. Usually it's a baby or a small child, but still, it's happening. You lost her, Georgia. The, we lost her in Dunham 10. <laughs> Turns out there was a door. Maybe that's what you couldn't see. Yeah. And I, I did the thing where I was like, not asking for permission because I've got to pee so bad. And I know that it's like one of those places where you're like, this, there's no way they're going to let me, even if I go, oh, it's, it's an emergency, you know, no. try to be cute. Um, <laughs> so like, get really small. Yeah. <laughs> it's an emergency. I'm seven. <laughs> I just, I just saw, I came in, saw the door and fucking booked it through like what was obviously like the, um, storage area. Oh yeah. And I was like, these people who work here gotta pee somewhere. So I'm going to pee there too. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it's like, clearly this is not for customers because it hasn't been cleaned in 40 years. <laughs> it's a mop in the corner while you're peeing and stuff. <laughs> I didn't give a fucking shit. <laughs> Weirdly though, the toilet had a toilet seat warmer like attachment on it. Oh, those people know how to live. I know. Yeah. This is why they don't want anyone to use the bathroom. They don't want to know they're not spending the money on the floors. Yeah, they're like, they don't want other people in there because they're like, I need to go in there and have my time. Yeah. Just sit around on the toilet for a while. I was warm. (laughs) (laughs) Just a moment of real. I don't even have to pee. I'm just going to sit on the toilet (laughs) and just really think about stuff. Warm my butt. And so then I came out of the bathroom and Vince was like in the door and he was like, 
where were you? Like, I was like, oh my God, was I gone for four hours? Like one of those things where it was like, where did you go? And I was like, what? And I came out and you were like, what happened? It was, I was I so was, scared. I was going through that thing where I'm like, I, I mean, it might be too early to panic, but it would be fun to panic. So maybe I should just get my speech ready that I've always had where I go up to the counter and I'm like, listen to me, my friend was in here 20 seconds ago and like really deliver that I am like the person who's lost a person's speech that yeah. I've always wanted to give my whole life. I need your help. Please call your local police authorities. <laughs> Something like that. I was a little disappointed when you showed Sorry. up. <laughs> oh. oh, she's well, back. It's over. In another dimension, in a, in a plane, I didn't show up. That's right. You and Vince came to the show. And then I got taken down to the police station. <laughs> Can Munchausen by proxy mean if you like also just <laughs> throw someone out in the middle of the wilderness? I can't find her. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's got to be yeah. stories like that. There's, I mean, I guess... Yeah. A lot of them are like that. That's this right? podcast. Yeah. That's what this podcast that's, is. <laughs> that's what we do every week. Oh, by the way, this is the My Favorite Murder yeah. podcast. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> this is, thank you. This is Georgia Hardstark. And that's Karen Kilgareth. You guys are lucky because last night, at the Detroit show, someone um, like brought the mitten murderinos, they're called, because this is a mitten, I guess, and this is where Detroit is and shit, which I just think Vince points at random places on his hand when he's telling me about where we are. They brought us little flags, and so the entire show last night was just flag-themed, because we couldn't put the fucking flags down. It was so much I don't fun. Know the last time you've waved a tiny triangular <laughs> flag... Not, not a rectangular one, not anything about countries or nations or citizenship, just a little triangle one mm -hmm. that's just about like something you like. I'm telling you, yep. do it as soon as you possibly can. <laughs> I was out of my mind filled with joy. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, but it was only like this big. It was like that big. God I'm damn. telling you, during the whole show, we were both fucking That was the show. They didn't, they didn't get a murder. They just got <laughs> dancing with flags. In the middle of the show, as I was reading my very serious <laughs> and horrifying murder, Georgia goes, oh my God, red flag, and holds it up because it was a red flag. <laughs> she had just been like, and he took out a life insurance policy. And I was going to go, red flag. <laughs> red flag. Red flag. It was really exciting for me and no one else. I love those moments when you realize other people are way smarter than you. And you're just like, yes, I'm seven beats behind. I love this. I get what you did. <laughs> oh, at, my God. God. Love it. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> Guys, I, apropos of nothing, there was a very small Canadian Kit Kat in the dressing room. Mm -hmm. And I just have to commend you. Do you appreciate it, though? Do you care as much as I do? Because if you've ever had an American Kit Kat, they're like having a, a small, flat, brown candle. They suck <laughs> shit compared to what you people are doing up here with the Kit Kat. And I thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Well, they stopped having to worry about health care here, so they're like, you know what? Let's just make our chocolate really good. Kick it. Once we get there, you guys, we're going to fucking give you a run for your money in the chocolate department. No, we're not. I never get there. Don't worry. We eat so much chocolate that we have to be hospitalized, and it's free. (laughs) That would be amazing. Yeah. Oh, my my God. If we're going to do it, we might as well do it here. Yeah. Tonight, Tonight. on stage. (laughs) Right now. Right? Right. Right. Oh! Steven's here! Oh, Steven's here! (laughs) (laughs) Look at him! Look at him. Baby! Look at him. Let the people look at you. Yeah. To the people! Yeah. Look at him. Drink it in, Stephen. Drink it in. What if, uh, what if I went, oh, we left Stephen at the liquor store, though, <laughs> in the bathroom. We just left him on the side. <laughs> oh, Stephen. Um, hi. Hi. Thanks. <laughs> Stephen. Stephen, everyone. Stephen, oh. have you ever in your life ever had 3,000 people cheer for you at one time? Um, I'm... I'm going to pee myself. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, that's Steven in a nutshell, everybody. He doesn't say that much. (laughs) I've never seen him look that nervous before. I know, it's weird. He acts all shy. I know. I forget how easy this is. He sure run out here fast. (laughs) He was like, he was doing the, like, ready to go. Yeah. (laughs) What's it called? Ready to go? He was down, and then he was up, and he was off. (laughs) You know what's funny? I just realized that Steven was standing here because we, we always give him lots of shit when he comes out here and also when he's not here. It's super fun. He's <laughs> our whipping always. boy in every way. He's the person who edits our show. So he knows all the stuff that we demand get, obviously, that gets cut out of the show. And there is very a very good chance that he's keeping all of the stuff that we want out. Don't say no, Steven, because I know what you're like. I've seen that fucking mustache in action. I know what you're like. <laughs> What if he has like a home computer just for the fucking bullshit? We've been like, oh my God, cut that out because there's so much of it. <laughs> I'm like, I hate Bulgarians. And he's like, here we fucking yeah. go. I'm going to end you. Gonna need this one day. We know. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. I mean. Let's, if we're going to get ruined by anyone and or like, you know, it might as well be Steven. It's got to be that guy. Why not? And then the per cast is here next year. Yeah. This whole stage is filled with cats. <laughs> People like shit like that. Oh, speaking of cats, my hair tonight is brought to you by uh, Linda Bob's Burgers. From Bob's Burgers. <laughs> Bob's Burgers, the new season's coming on tomorrow night, everybody. <laughs> I don't work for them. <laughs> Just a fan. I don't even know them. <laughs> I guess we... Sh- is it time? I think it's time. Oh, it's time for us to sit down. Thank you. Um, I think it's hilarious that that actually is like a applause cue for you guys. It's, pre- it's precious. Yeah. Any, any bit of extra clapping that we can milk out of you, we absolutely will. Definitely. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Our lifeblood is renewed. <laughs> but... We also realize there are people that get brought to these shows of ours who do not listen to the podcast. Mm -hmm. They're like, who the fuck was that millennial? 
<laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah. Someone's like, my best friend, like, you know, broke up with me today. Will you please come with me to the show? I don't want to go alone. <laughs> yeah. And they come and they're like, okay, you'll like it. You love comedy. They're okay. like, I've seen two girls talking before. I don't need the, I don't, yeah. I didn't need a pass to go see that shit. <laughs> um, so just so you guys know, this is a podcast about murder. <laughs> Called it, my favorite murder. It's our favorite ones. And, <laughs> but it's also a comedy podcast. Yeah. Which, uh, can be a bit dicey. So sometimes. hold, hold on to your butts, everyone. Yeah. Especially if your butt gets triggered really easily. Yeah. It's, I just be careful. <laughs> you got a trigger butt? <laughs> Itchy trigger butt. It happens a oh, lot. Oh, yeah. All over, mm. all over this great country. Leading cause of hilarity. Georgia, is there anything scarier than trying to log into an account? And it tells you that your password is incorrect. And then you try again and it's the same thing. And after a few more failed attempts, big red letters appear saying you've been locked out and your account is suspended. That happens to me all the time, Karen. But scary password stories can have happy endings if you give 1Password a try. 1Password is a user-friendly password management system. It's trusted by consumers, families, small businesses, and large-scale enterprises. If you're tired of being the family member everyone texts for a streaming login or the unofficial keeper of all those shared work credentials, it's time for you to pass the torch to 1Password. They allow for secure login sharing. With 1Password, you can securely store more than just passwords, autofill everything from usernames to payment details and personal info. They'll also notify you about potential data breaches. 1Password saves everyone time. And in many cases, that save time equals money saved. The accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. I mean, you should, but don't just do that. The Associated Press uses 1Password to secure their sensitive information in high-risk areas. Right now, our listeners can get a two-week free trial at onepasswordcom MFM. That's two free weeks at one, as in the number one, password.com slash MFM. OnePassword.com slash MFM. Goodbye. Do you I go first. Or okay. I think I go first. We did two shows last night in Detroit. And, and I so, went first. Right? Yeah. It's me, cool. right, Stephen? We got a thumbs up from Stephen. Yeah. If Stephen says we go first. Yeah. That's yeah. his name. Yeah. Stephen, one of the 3,000 people yelled your name. <laughs> so... Calm down. She wins this rug. She gets to take this rug home with her tonight. Oh, guys, we brought this rug from home, just so you know. I get a little homesick when we travel, so I'd like to have something with me. Vince is, Vince is one possibility, but I also like to have my rug. You know, it's really high maintenance. But <laughs> I would love if, like, the, this specific kind of assholes we're going to turn into if we do a lot of shows like this. We're oh. just like, is the rug there? Yeah. Well, then I'm not there. How's that? <laughs> A lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where's the rug? <laughs> the rug rehearsal was at 5.30 and no one was there. Rug rehearsal. <laughs> I love that. Wait, I just have to say that these are the most comfortable yeah. and reasonably heighted chairs yep. we've ever sat in. Speaking of getting into specifics, you just, we never know what the chair situation is going to be it's like until we sit down. I was positive my chair was going to break last night. I didn't want to say it at the theater because I really? didn't want to insult them in their chairs. But there was this wobbly thing that I was like, <laughs> this is going to... And I, it was like such that I knew that I'd fall backwards. Oh. And they were high. Yes, they were very high last night. <sighs> um, we should start wearing helmets. 
<laughs> okay, but they have to be black. <laughs> they have to be formal helmets. Formal. Uh, <laughs> so, on to the murder part. Oh, right. Oh, shit, girl. Yeah. I saw did the, you see it? I did. I'm gonna, okay, so. <laughs> this is a heavy You're hitters. a sneaky peek. I can't help it if I have perfect vision. <laughs> And it, you're a really good upside-down reader. <laughs> this well, is a heavy hitter. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Heavy hitters episode, I think. Heavy, it, heavy hitter, but it's also, it's also apology makeup work for the city of Toronto and the country <laughs> of Canada <laughs> as a whole. We owe you guys. Guys, long, long ago in 1968 when we started this podcast... <laughs> And I thought it was kind of like, I thought it was what we were talking about it to be when we first conceived of it, which was, hey, you and me will sit in your living room and we'll just like talk about serial killers and murder and true crime and stuff that we're kind of fascinated by casually, conversationally. <laughs> and um, very quickly we learned that that is absolutely not the way you can talk about true crime because mm -hmm. you have to know years and cities and facts and dates <laughs> And the truth is really important. <laughs> it's a big part of it. Yeah. And I think it was around like the third episode. Yep. I. <laughs> Thanks. They knew. They were ready to tell you. Because they're pissed. Oh. Um, I did this one and I talked through it as if it happened to my neighbor. <laughs> I was so young back then. Um, <laughs> the whole reason I wanted to do it is because I had one, actually like one person away from, one degree away story that I loved to tell all the time. Um, and that's what I was building the whole concept around, but like I didn't do any research at all. And I remember some girl emailing or tweeting, but she was just like, that was horrible. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, that was horrible. <laughs> You're right. And then this whole time I've been saving it to come to Girl. Toronto to redo it. Because <laughs> I felt bad. It was, quite a, it was quite an awakening to realize that I just signed up for a podcast where I had to do a fucking book report every week. <laughs> like, it's not my jam, as, yeah. you, can well, as you well know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, tonight I'm going to do uh, the case of the schoolgirl killers, the Ken and Barbie killers, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Uh, for visitors, boyfriends, girlfriends, people who have never come before, Dads. We're, not, we're not cheering for the murderers. Mm -mm. We're not. It feels like we are. <laughs> I understand why that would bother a person and maybe scare them to death. Uh-huh. That's not what's happening. <laughs> At least with me. <laughs> I shouldn't speak for everybody. All right. <laughs> I got most of the research from uh, this retelling of the factual story um, from the A&E series biography that they mm. did on these murders, which is actually incredibly thorough. Oh. And they had a Scottish narrator, which I oh. think is bold. Definitely. The right? Canadian guy was sick that day. <laughs> the Canadian guy that they had for it. Well, it was YouTube, so it's international, I guess. Okay. Unless they do only Canadian YouTube here, like they... That's the thing they don't tell you about oh, Canada. They shit. fucking take over your YouTube. And the internet, like, this site can't be seen, Canadian. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The other 
chunk of information or bunch of information that I got was I stumbled upon this amazing article on a website called The Walrus. Um, mm, yeah. It's so good. That's a good one. So a girl, a woman named Stacy Mae Fowles wrote this. She is from Scarborough. She, she was 11 years old at the time that the Scarborough rapist was at the height of like his reign of terror. And she wrote a beautiful article that I highly recommend you go read called Boy Next Door. It's wow. amazing. It like, I, I cried at the end. It was really fucking great. Um, and it made me really happy. And I stole, stole, stole. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Paul Bernardo was born 1964 in Scarborough, Ontario. Um, he was the youngest, uh, child to Kenneth and Marilyn Bernardo an unhappy couple. Isn't that how these always start? I mean, what, cu what couple that we know in these stories is happy and, oh. or sober? <laughs> yeah. Um, his father would later face charges of being a peeping Tom and a pedophile. Oh and uh, he also molested Paul's sister. So bad things were happening from jump for Paul. Um, he also physically, verbally abused his whole family, and he often called his wife bitch and big fat cow. Um, his mother was a depressive. I wonder why. And she'd also, she'd often leave the family for the weekend and just go stay with her family. And after a while, um, in this family, things got so bad that she just went down and lived in the basement. Whoa. Yeah. That's how some people cope. <laughs> just... You'd go as low as you can. Just get way down there by the Christmas decorations. So, <laughs> so dark. It's just like, um, mom, is there any milk? Let That's okay. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> so, um, Although Paul Bernardo was described as a happy child as a youth, he, when he joined the Boy Scouts, all the, uh, people, the leaders noticed that he really loved starting fires. Oof. And that was his Boy Scout jam. Well, aren't they supposed to start fires? I mean, they're Boy supposed Scouts? to. I got scared for a minute, but then I was like, wait a minute. But it's like, you get your badge. Uh huh. And then you, and then you don't need to start a whole <laughs> bunch of other fires. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Is the thing. Smart. So. Uh, 1981, when he was 16, um, he found out that Kenneth wasn't his biological father, and he lost his shit, obviously. Mm -hmm. Although, in retrospect, I would feel pretty good about it. Yeah, that's a positive. The peeping Tom is not your dad. Yeah. Quit crying. Everything's fine. <laughs> but, of course, he was 16. This had been his life. It's like he found out his whole life was a lie, so he uh, was furious at his mother. He blamed his mother for the whole thing, started calling her slut and whore, um, you know, and, uh, she started calling him bastard all the time. Just fucking Jeez. good times Sunday to Sunday at the <laughs> Bernardo's house. Come over for dinner. You're going to love it. Um, uh, okay. So after he graduates from high school, he gets a job with Amway. You, uh, oh. Are you guys familiar with Amway? It's like a pyramid scheme. It's weird. They just send, they sell a bunch of different shit, but it's like really the point is that you get more people that you know to come in and sell this weird like laundry detergent and shit. Um, it's just a pyramid scheme. It's like 
Karen, have you noticed how clean my shirt is? I actually yeah. did notice that here at lunch. Like, <laughs> be, be with that one of us, yes, right? Exactly. I want my shirt to be that clean. Um, they're really not that clean. Um, but what he really picked up from working there was this, the, the, what they call the, um, polemic sales culture. Didn't look it up. Not sure what it means. But what I, <laughs> Assume it means it's pushy, pushy, pushy. Like they don't take no for an answer and they kind of like get you from every direction. They're super manipulative. Um, or it could mean casual. Who knows? <laughs> That's the joy of this podcast. It's all question marky. We have to stay true to some of our roots. Yes. Or else it won't be the podcast you listen to. That's right. I had to leave one thing unresearched yeah. just so you knew I was still me. Yeah. I gotta be me. Okay. He starts using these sales techniques to pick up women. Um, by the time he begins, <laughs> yeah, because women love detergent. <laughs> um, by the time he starts uh, going to school at the University of Toronto at Scarborough, he is d displaying, sure, go raccoons. Um, <laughs> Um, he's displaying all the signs of being a psychopath. Uh, charming, outgoing, life of the party, but also an incredibly sinister dark side that only a couple people know about. Like, his girlfriends, mm. who keep on breaking up with him, all of his relationship, like, length, time lengths just keep getting shorter and shorter because women get, go out with him and they're just like, sorry, you're not allowed to call me a slut. I, I have only known you for three days. <laughs> okay, we'll see you later. Um, so, uh... He actually threatened to kill um, a couple of his girlfriends if they ever told how abusive he was to them in their private life. Oh, my God. Um, he was fixated on conquering women. He, he was just obsessed with picking them up, having sex with them, and then making them do whatever he wanted. Um, all right. So that's Paul Bernardo in a nutshell. There's, I'm sure there's tons of other things to say about it. But now... Carla, this is because that obsession that he had, making women do whatever he wanted, that's where Carla Homolka comes into the scene. She it was born in 1970 in Port Credit, Ontario. Her father was a traveling salesman and an alcoholic, of course. Oh. Um, she had two younger sisters, Lori and Tammy. Carla was also a bright student. Um, she was... Uh, she... Oh, she... Their father was drunk was a drunk that would insult the whole family and then he would go down into the basement. What the fuck? Isn't that fucking weird? Yeah. What are the chances? It's a, Is that a thing here? <laughs> They're like, yeah, no, everyone's parents said that. It's oh, not. Yeah, that's, that's Canada. <laughs> that's where all the Kit Kats are. <laughs> they just don't tell America. Don't tell the U.S. about us. It's that, what if it's very healing to go into the basement? Yeah. It's actually very good for you. They're just like, that's our secret. <laughs> it's good for your skin. Um, okay, so. Uh, also, when um, Carla's mother found out that her father was having an affair, she told him it was fine and to invite the mistress in for a menage a trois. So there's a lot of bad relationship patterning for if, both of these people. If I had a tiny red flag, I would check it right here. Oh. Here you go. It would be fun. <clears throat> okay. So uh, 
she was described as a child as being stubborn, um, domineering. Um, she, re she was a rebel in high school. She cut herself. She would always claim that she was going to commit suicide to get attention. Um, she graduated in 1988 and she became a full-time veterinary technician. Up until that last part, that was so me. <laughs> so me. Okay. In May of 1987, um, in Scarborough, a 21-year-old woman gets off the bus. She's followed by a, a man who was on the bus as well. And um, he comes up from behind, assaults her, and she ends up being the first victim of the Scarborough rapist. Um, and the, over the next 13 months, these assaults continue and they escalate very quickly. Um, the Scarborough rapist begins raping women orally, vaginally, and anally, cutting them or penetrating them with a knife. Uh... Um, he chokes them, he punches them in the face, he stole one victim's ID, noted her home address, and then threatened to kill her family. Uh, he broke another victim's arm. Um, all the victims were attacked from behind, so none of them saw his face, but they all described him as a tall, young uh, man with light hair. Um, while he was attacking them, he made them call themselves degrading names, like slut and whore. Mm. Um, so... Uh, the police call in the FBI immediately to profile this rapist, which is a great move. And they bring in um, FBI agent Greg McCreary. You have seen this guy on every crime show there is. He is the guy, he's the FBI agent with the gray hair who looks really tired of crime. <laughs> like he's like so fucking sick of people being bad to each other. So like when he's explaining stuff, he's kind of quiet like this, but he's just, he's kind of like, Man's inhumanity to man. That's what he's saying. No matter what he's actually saying, that's just always what he's saying. I love Greg McCreary. Okay. So, um, he does a profile on the rapist. He says this is a sadistic rapist with a high probability of escalation. Um, young, in his early 20s, local, intelligent, high-functioning, in a dependent wow. living situation, so probably living with his family. That's so crazy that he was able to determine all... I fucking... Yeah. Yeah. They know all that shit. It's crazy. Um, Fascinating. And then a psychopath, obviously. Um, so in April of 1988, um, a 19-year-old woman is attacked after getting off the bus. She was actually pulled between two houses and raped and yelled for help. And the people in the houses heard her and didn't respond. No, guys. Yeah. That's not how we... That's not how we do it. No. Um, so the next month, the total number of known Scarborough rapist victims had risen to seven. Um so this is, a little, this is a little bit crazy. Constable Vic Clark told the press, quote, don't expect people to watch out for you if you happen to come back at 1 a.m. in the morning off the bus. Ooh. <laughs> like said, the police? <laughs> right, like the police. He said, it'd be nice to think that you can go anywhere you like nowadays, but don't put yourself in a vulnerable position. Mm. Hold on, hold your hate because... <laughs> The same month, Alderman John Mackey proposed a curfew for women. Oh. For oh. women. Finally. God. <laughs> Get him out of the street. We've been waiting to be told what time we're safe. <laughs> <laughs> Just the logic there is. Yeah. You're, cur you're curfewing the gender that is not raping anybody, <laughs> okay? No, no, no. Come on. Come on. In a refreshing turn, the Toronto Transit Commission instituted its request stop program. Right? 
So w which meant that women who rode the bus at night could tell the bus driver, you can drop me right here in front of my fucking house and you didn't have to wait till the next bus stop so that women could get delivered wow. exactly to where they needed to be. Wow. That's, that's what you do. That's problem solving right there. Moving here immediately. Um, okay. October 17th, 1987, Carla Homolka is now age 17 and she meets Paul Bernardo, age 23, in a hotel restaurant in Scarborough. Two hours later, they're having sex in her hotel room. Um, which, no judgment. Hey, look. Yeah. If there were anybody else, we'd be into it. <laughs> <laughs> the friends who were with both of them that day said that the chemistry was palpable, like it was in the air, and like it always is when two psychopaths meet and fall in love. <laughs> So, do you, Stephen, will oh. you put up that first picture of Let's the of the happy couple? Oh, Barbie and Ken. Look at those warm, welcoming eyes oh. on both of them. They're just. Wouldn't you love to sit in a hotel restaurant and stare across at her satanic, <laughs> satanic eyes, and then his whatever they're doing eyes, and his tiny, tiny teeth with a fake <laughs> smile. <laughs> surrounding them. He's like, this is what humans do when cameras come out. This is it. Happiness. Well, Carla's family thinks that Paul Bernardo is great. They, they don't mind the age difference. Her parents don't mind the age difference. He's smart, good looking. He's trained to be an accountant. Um, her sisters think of him as the brother they never had. Soon, um, he's coming to her. She still lives with her parents. Um, and soon she's dri he's driving to her house uh, uh, like a couple times a week. I think it was an 80-mile drive mm -hmm. um, from Scarborough to St. Catharines, which is where she lived. Um, she brags to her friends about how mature her 23-year-old boyfriend is. Within a year, she's confiding to them that he has become verbally abusive to her. Oh, fuck. Um, but she always forgives him. Uh, December 24th, 1989. They take a trip to Niagara Falls, and they get engaged. Um, did someone applaud... No. I think someone took their compact out of their purse because they have something in their eye. and like They're like, I love love and I don't care. <laughs> she's like one snap. And she's just like, shit. Um, okay, so they plan to marry in spring of 1991. Um, the family's thrilled. In May of 1990, which is six months later, the Scarborough police release a composite sketch of the Scarborough rapist based on all of the victims um, telling the police sketch artist. So can we see that composite sketch? <gasps> oh, I'm sketch? so excited. Oh, Stephen, creepy. I wish you would have cropped that up a little higher. <laughs> Fucking. Why do we pay you? Oh my God, he left. He ripped off his mustache and left. <laughs> He looks like a fucking Nazi youth. He looks like he's in the style council. He looks, can I add another one? Yeah. He looks like when you walk by like a cheap hair salon and they have photos in the windows <laughs> of what people. Yeah. This is the, the called the Scarborough Rapist. <laughs> I hate to say it out loud, but I love the Scarborough Rapist look. I, is it wrong? <laughs> I think the sweepover would look great on my giant forehead. Okay. Well, here's what's crazy is Paul Bernardo's friends 
and his coworkers Mm-mm. see this Mm-mm. and they're like, ring, 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 911 or whatever it is in Canada. Hello. <laughs> Get me the fucking police right now. Shut up. A ton of people that he worked with and that were friends with him called the police and were like, wow. that's Paul Bernardo. And can we do the side by side comparison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. I don't see it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man. Um, okay. So the police bring him in for an interview. He's polite, he's charming, and he's calm, like any good psychopath would be. Mm-hmm. He volunteers his DNA. What? what? It can't be you. Mm. Um, they collect hair, blood, and saliva samples that are sent to the lab where they will sit for two years. <gasps> I don't like that. It's 1990. Um, okay. So then he moves in with Carla uh, and her parents in St. Catharines, and suddenly the Scarborough rapes stop. That's crazy. Um, he tells Carla that, um, so this is, this is where it gets, I mean, we knew this was going to happen, but this is so fucked. So he tells Carla that she can't give him the one thing he really wants, which is her virginity, because she already gave that away. Oh. Um, so she can still give it to him just through the person closest to her, no, no. her 15-year-old sister, Tammy. And Carla agrees. So, on December 23rd, uh, after the whole rest of the family goes to bed, Paul and Carla invite Tammy to stay up with them after the... um, And Carla has crushed sleeping pills and animal tranquilizers um, that she stole from her job. Oh, my God, as a vet? Yeah. It's so dark. Yeah. Um, Into her drink. She loses consciousness. Um, Carla puts a rag soaked with the drug halothene over her face Paul rapes her. When Paul's done, he tells Carla he wants her to rape her. She does. All of it is on videotape. So, in the middle of that, uh, Tammy begins to vomit and then choke on her own (gasps) vomit. And Paul and Carla rush, put her clothes back on her, and then call an ambulance. Um, In the early hours of December 24th, 1990, Tammy Homolka is pronounced dead. And aside from the mysterious burn marks on her face, which uh, Carla and Paul say must have been rug burns, um, her death is ruled an accident. Um, A month later, Paul and Carla move out of her parents' house in St. Catharines. They move into a two-story house in Port de Lucie. I did it right? Good job. Thank you. Because I spelled it, it looks like DeLuise, kind of, a little bit. <laughs> you just went for it? That could have, I really did. I'm proud of you. Thank you so much. It was really fucking scary. No, it's terrifying. There's so many people here Like, right you guys now. made us share, not you guys, but this podcast has made us scared of saying places in this world. We never say it right, ever. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's not your fault, it's our fault, but... Still, it's your fault. <laughs> um... <laughs> Okay, when they're in their own house, he starts physically abusing Carla. Um, and then when she threatens to leave him, she, he reminds her he has a videotape of her Shit. killing her own sister. And so she has to stay. June 15th, 1991, um, Paul wakes Carla up in the middle of the night to tell her he has a surprise. He has kidnapped 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey out of her own backyard. So this is super fucked. Leslie had gone out for the day. I think I read something where it said that she was at a friend's funeral and then she stayed out past her curfew. Mm. So she probably like, if her friend died, she got drunk with her friends or something. And when she got home, it was past her curfew. Her parents locked her out of the house. So she went into the backyard and that's when 
Paul Bernarder saw her and he lured her into his car with a cigarette, offering her a cigarette. She was like, sure. Um, and then he ends up kidnapping her and taking her to the house. Um, Paul and Carla videotape themselves raping and torturing Leslie for 24 hours, then oh strangle her, cut up her body, encase it in cement, and dump it in Lake Gibson. Fuck. Two weeks later, on June 29th, 1991, two fishermen spot some strange blocks in the lake as they're fishing. When they look closer, they see the human flesh is sticking out of the mm. cement. It's the body of Leslie Mahaffey. On the same day that her body is found, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka get married in a Catholic church in Niagara-on-the-Lake in front of a hundred friends and family what members. What in the fuck? When, in the special that I was watching, when it switched from that to the video of their <gasps> fucking fucked up early 90s wedding, it, like, the version of chills I got were like, this is insanity. These are people who are completely cut off from any reality of yeah. what they're doing. It was, it was horrifying. And the hair and the dress were so ugly. It was, <laughs> I'm sure that was part of it, but, okay. <clears throat> um, now Paul starts telling Carla that he wants her to invite Tammy's friends over to the house so that he can do the same thing to Tammy's friends. And she does. Mm -hmm. So they start drugging these girls that were friends with her sister. And a lot of these girls had no memory of anything happening. They only found out after the videotapes were found. And then wow. they were informed that that had happened to them. Oh, my God. It's, yeah. Couldn't be darker. Um, okay, on April 16th, uh, 1992, Paul and Carla are driving around looking for a new victim. They're just full-on fucking predators. Um, they see a 15-year-old girl named Kristen French who's walking home from school. They pull into a church parking lot. Carla gets out holding a map, and then uh, when Kristen walks by, she waves her over like, sorry, do you, I, I need to know directions, and they pull her into the car and kidnap her. Um, but this time, there's witnesses. So people saw... People actually saw Kristen get taken, but when they report it to the police, multiple people say that it was a beige Camaro. Um, so immediately the police realize a girl's been kidnapped, a girl's body has just been found, mm -hmm. we've got something serious happening. They start, um, they put together what they call the Green Ribbon Task Force, dedicated to, to figuring out what the fuck is going on. And the Green River Task Force puts up this billboard immediately. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this car wanted in the abduction of Kristen French? And there's the, the uh, green ribbon hotline. The only problem was that Paul Bernardo drove a gold Nissan. He did not drive a beige Camaro. Mm. So it was a huge mislead. Um, in April 30th, 1992, Kristen's body is found in a ditch in Burlington. She's clearly been tortured. Her hair has been cut off. Mm. Um, then the violence within the marriage begins to ex escalate. Um, on January 5th, 1993, Carla goes to the emergency room. He is, uh, Paul's beating her with a flashlight. She has two black eyes that go from like here to here oh and they're God. dark purple. Um, she has broken ribs, extreme bruising. Um, before she leaves the house to go to the emergency room, uh, she tries to go find the videotapes and she can't find them anywhere. Um, 20 days later, January 25th, 1993, the DNA samples come back that Bernardo had given to the Scarborough police, and they match 
the DNA of the Scarborough rapist. Mm. So the Toronto police um, bring Carla in to talk to her because they know you talk to the wife, you know, like basically they have to break the news to her and then try to get information. And it's our boy, FBI agent Greg McCreary, who leads the interview. (laughs) Um, Well, the, the, the Grieb Ribbon Task Force did was there too and right. they did the interview and they knew everything that was going on they knew so they didn't accuse her of anything mm-hmm. they were m- more talking to her like they were being understanding and yeah. just basically trying to get information out of her um so basically once she talks to the police she kind of knows that the the they're closing in on them so she goes to an uncle and she confesses everything she tells the what? uncle everything that they've done and the uncle says you have to get a lawyer right now Ugh. so um, she tells the lawyer, you have to get me full immunity, no. um, for my, uh, I'll testify against my husband, but you have to give me immunity. Um, uh, so then she ends up making a full confession saying that Paul is the Scarborough rapist, that he's responsible for the murders of Kristen French, Leslie Mahaffey, and her sister Tammy, and that she was forced to participate in all of it against her will. And then she says all the proof that they need is in their house on those videotapes if they just find them. So uh, on February 19th, 1993, a search warrant is executed in Bernardo home. Uh, there's, it's a 71-day search. What the fuck? Yeah, they just kept looking because they couldn't fucking find these videotapes anywhere. Um, and they ended up not being able to find them in the house. So... Without evidence, without that kind of evidence, they only have Carla's testimony. So they have to plea bargain with her because yeah. she they need her right. uh, testimony. So she agrees to testify against him in, in exchange for a reduced sentence. The whole deal was kept secret from the public um, to ensure a fair trial for Paul Bernardo. Um, so a, reporters were allowed in the courtroom the day of her sentencing, but they were only allowed. It was a it was a publicity ban. They were called. They called it, and they were only allowed to report on what the charges were and what the sentence was. They weren't allowed to report on anything else wow, that happened. Why? So, of course, this made all the press go crazy of, like, how bad is this? This must be yeah. the worst thing ever because they never do stuff like this. Um, so in July of 1993, Carla Homolka pleads guilty to two counts of manslaughter, and she receives two 12-year sentences to be served concurrently. No. That was her deal. Um, she's sent to Kingston prison and then soon after she files for divorce. Uh, September, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like at this point, don't worry about it. Cut bait, baby. Yeah. Get out. The lawyer's like, I'm not also doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't pay me enough. She's like, Hey, every psychopath for themselves. I don't have a conscience, so I don't care about you, my husband. Okay. So. Um, in September 1994, Paul Bernardo's lawyer quits. <laughs> He's not going to represent him anymore. That's how bad it was. Well, it turns out that the reason that the cops couldn't find those videotapes inside their house is because Paul Bernardo's lawyer had gone into the house and taken them out. No. Yep, they were hidden up in just for future use. If you ever are looking for anything or need to hide anything, they were upstairs in a bathroom ceiling light fixture, up, like hidden up above. What a dick. Yeah. The well, lawyer. Dick lawyer, but then when he quit, he gave the tapes to the next lawyer who was representing Paul Bernardo, and that guy's like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give these to the yeah. cops. The law. I mean, right? Yeah. Let me just say this, though. No, 
not right away. Really? Like two weeks later. Oh, like thought about it. I, I mean, I don't know. I slept on it. I mean. <laughs> For two weeks. He thought about it and then he was like, oh, I don't want to be the devil like the rest of these yeah. people. Um, okay. So uh, May 18th, 1995, Paul Bernardo's trial begins. Oh, oh, sorry. So once the police have the tapes, they have to look at them. They mm. see what's on them. And they realize that her story of Paul being fully responsible for everything is a total fucking lie and that she was happily participating in all of it in as coldly and horribly as he was and that yes she was clearly an abused wife but still on the videotape didn't seem to be having a problem with any of it yeah. and they then realized that they they called it the deal with the devil mm. where they just basically they they They'd given her the easiest way out, and she was just as guilty as he was. Wow. Um, according to the videotape, which, you know, is pretty objective. Okay. Um, <laughs> so May 18th, 1995, Paul Bernardo's trial begins. The defense claims that Carla was the one who turned Paul into a murderer. He was just a plain rapist before. Oh, but she, she fucking Yoko Ono that shit. She got in there, <laughs> and she fucked it up. Oh. And she should have a curfew. <laughs> <laughs> but then Carla gives her testimony. Um, and then on September 1st, 1995, the jury deliberates for eight hours and then finds Paul Bernardo guilty of all nine charges against him, including two counts of first degree murder. Mm. Um, yeah. He's sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. No, that's not long enough. 1995. No. Do a little math. I can't. Okay. That's soon. Okay. Um, he was also, uh, a couple months later, declared a dangerous offender, which meant that he would likely spend the rest of his life in jail. Uh, don't clap so fast. Um, in 2001, an Ontario court uh, ordered that all evidence from the Paul Bernardo, Car Carla Homolka cases be destroyed. Mm. So... Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French's parents and a bunch of the officers and the detectives that worked on the case went down and witnessed all of the pictures and all of the videotape and all of the evidence from the entire case, watched it all get destroyed. Yeah. Um, which makes me very happy. Yeah. In 2005, 35-year-old uh, Carla Homolka was released from prison after serving a 12-year sentence. What the fuck? Don't, it feels like you're booing us. <laughs> Um, she moved to Montreal. She changed her name to Leanne Teal. Oh, we know her, who she is? Leanne Teal. That's what I would have changed my name to if I had to move away. Sure. Because Teal's a great color, and Leanne is a name no one uses anymore. <laughs> she got married, and in 2007, she had a baby. No, no, uh -huh. no, 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 yeah. no. Um, it was recently discovered that she was volunteering at her child's school, and um, in June, that school just released a statement, not naming any names, but saying um, that they do not allow anyone with a uh, criminal record on their property. So she no longer volunteers for her child's school. Oh, do we have that? Steven, oh. do you have that picture of this is modern day? Oh, shit. I wonder her at did, the school. Did everyone like recognize her and know who she was? I think story? there's people out there that are like, excuse me. I know who she yeah. is. Like, I don't, there's, she couldn't move back to her hometown, which is what she was going to do when she first got uh -uh. out of jail. So she had to move to Montreal. What a monster. I mean, not that, I'm sure it's great. I love French people. 
But <laughs> yeah. she had to move to Montreal. <laughs> she had to. Uh, FBI profiler Greg McCreary believes Carla Homolka may have been more psychopathic mm. than Paul Bernardo. Um, being wow. that she was able to live with the murder of her own sister. Yeah. Just the, I mean, you can't compare psychopathy, I don't think, mm. but. Um, I like the idea that he was like, you know, something to think about. And the whole time I was, it's that thing where you're like, well, when battered women aren't they, you know, you have battered spouse syndrome, you're in that situation. What would you do? Yeah. Or what would you be forced to do or what, whatever. Then I read this, this piece of information that I thought was pretty bone chilling. When Carla Homolka was questioned and fingerprinted by the police, um, they noticed that she was wearing a Mickey Mouse watch that looked a lot like the one Kristen French was wearing when she disappeared. <gasps> Just in case you had any worries about Carla that she was being persecuted, uh, I don't, I don't think if you were in that situation that you'd just be like, oh, a trophy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fuck. Uh, fuck. My hands hurt because I'm gripping this microphone <laughs> so tightly because I'm like, oh my God. Sorry, it's almost over. No, no, no. I'm in a good way. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. Um, in 2017, Paul Bernardo, uh, that's this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> he has served 22 years of his sentence already, mm-hmm. which means that they're now starting to discuss Mm-mm. parole issues. Um, despite being declared a dangerous offender, he is in 2018, or no, this year he's, he's eligible for day parole, which means <laughs> you get to leave jail and then come back in the evening. No, that's not how prison works. Well, <laughs> everyone. <clears throat> He, the hearing was supposed to be in August, and they pushed it to October. So, and it's uh, happening on the stage, right <laughs> now. ladies and gentlemen. Let's all get oh. up on stage and murder him. <laughs> we just we cause a fucking Canadian riot like you wouldn't believe. That would be the most badass move yeah. of all time. Yeah. We made a ton of Canadians kill people with guns. Yeah. It, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have believed it. Look under your seats, you guys. Guns. We brought Everybody them in. Got, it's a gun tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Bernardo's hearing uh, will likely take place at the Millhaven Institute in Bath, which is near Kingston, which is where he has been serving his life sentence. He is eligible for full parole in 2018. So we'll see how it goes. You guys, don't do it. Don't please don't do please. it. Who here is deciding? <laughs> um, okay, so I just want to read you the final paragraph of Stacy May Fowles' article because um, I loved it so much. It's it's this quote: I came across a story that ran in the Star, published soon after the trial concluded, which argued that Bernardo was not the monster we wanted to believe him to be, but rather one of us, a product of our culture a man groomed with a pervasive, violent hatred of women. Mary Lou McPhadrin, a women's rights advocate, spoke of the insidious impact Bernardo had on our community, that he had created an ambient trauma, even for those who had not been directly victimized by him. It is a wound that will probably never heal. The Bernardo case has been played out as a titillating drama, she said, and we fail to understand what it's done to us. Wow. That's it. So fucked up. Really terrible. 
You made up for episode three, I think. <laughs> I can't say sorry any more than what I just did. That's all I can do. Let's, um... No, that's it. <laughs> Let's go back to episode three. Stephen, take this note. Take out Karen's story and put this in, just out of the blue. Wait, can I retell the whole reason I told that story in the first place? That story of my friends? Oh, yeah, I don't even remember. Is this, like, this one last thing? Ooh, no, my hands I'm are so cold and dry. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I forgot. It's very I don't, fast. Okay, my friend. So Paul Greenberg, who was on uh, a sketch show called The Vacant Lot, you should know him and love him. He is from here. Hilarious man. Now he lives in Los Angeles. You might hate him because oh. of that. Anyhow, he's the one that told me the story. His mother was an artist, and she lived in a high-rise apartment building that had a pool at the. It, uh, on the roof and she, it, she lived in Scarborough at the time that all of these things were going on uh, in the beginning of it not the not the couple's uh, schoolgirl killer time in the Scarborough rapist time mm-hmm. she goes up on to swim one day it's daytime there's nobody up there and she's doing laps she is um, <gasps> I believe at the time she was in her late 60s or early 70s she's doing laps in the pool and a young man comes out um, onto the roof as well. She doesn't really pay attention. She's just doing her laps. And then she finally looks up and realizes he's just standing at the end of the pool, staring at her. And as she's doing her laps, it's like he's just standing over her, watching her swim. And she is super freaked out by it and really scared. And it's getting to the point he starts walking along the side of the pool mm. as she swims. Uh-huh. And so she's shitting and it's not the way she would tell the story, I'm sure. <laughs> Until the fucking roof door bursts open and like three families with Ugh. kids run out and she's like, who, I'm out of here. Okay, so she goes right, right back down to her apartment and sketches his face. <gasps> right. She's like, uh-uh. Well, when that, when that Scarborough rapist picture came out, she went and pulled the sketch out and showed Paul and she's like, that's the man that was on the roof, and it was the exact same guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Chills. I know. I love a first-hander. I'm sorry. No, I love absolutely. a first-hander. Absolutely. It's the best. Great job. Thank you. That's okay. Too much. There's too much clapping. It's too much clapping. It went from us needing it and loving it and making making up for a lot of love we lost as children to just being a little too much. The clapping. To ruining our own clapping. This is the story of the murder of uh, Lynn Harper by and this case of Stephen Truscott. Truscott. Thank you. Sorry. I'm nerd. Okay. What is it? Truscott. 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 Okay. The podcast Great. I listened to. Thank you, guys. <laughs> um, all right. So on the evening, June 9th, 1959, small town of Clinton. Represent. Represent Clinton always. Yeah. We love Clinton. We love it. Um, located near Lake Huron, about 200 kilometers. Uh-huh. <laughs> How it's, far is that? I fucking no know. No idea. It's 200 <laughs> kilometers. <laughs> um, west of Toronto, the parents of 12-year-old Cheryl Lynn, so we're going to call her Lynn Harper, began to worry when their daughter didn't come home after her girl guides meeting. Mm. 
around 11.20 that night, her father, who's an officer on the Clinton base, reported her missing. It's like a base town. Um, earlier that evening, around 7 p.m., Stephen um, Truscott, Truscott, fuck. Lynn's, uh, so he, Stephen is Lynn's 14-year-old classmate. He'd given Lynn a ride home on the handlebars of his bicycle. Not home, sorry. He'd given Lynn a ride on the handlebars of his bicycle. Uh, and he's questioned by police because he was the last person to see her alive. And he said he took her to the intersection of the country, of country road and highway eight. He, he left her there. She started to bike. He started to bike away, stopped on a bridge, turned around and saw her get into a gray 1959 Chevrolet with an out of province license plate. <laughs> I know. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I know. kilometers um and that there was a lot of chrome on the car so he sees her leaving uh in this car and getting into it he bikes on um and two days later on the afternoon of june 11th searchers discover uh lynn's body a few tree branches partially covering her remains and it's in a nearby farm woodlot just off a tractor trail it's a lightly wooded area known as lawson's bush on the outskirts of clinton it's just a little you know, tree foresty area. Lynn had been raped and strangled with her own blouse. So Stephen becomes the immediate and only suspect. The 14-year-old? Yeah. Wow. Because he was the last person to see her. Um, he said he had dropped her off. And they, the parents said that she's not someone who would normally hitchhike, so they didn't believe him. And within two days of an investigation, on June 12, 1959, Stephen's taken into custody. Um, and after... About 10 hours of investigation at 2.30 in the morning, Stephen's charged with first-degree murder of Lynn Harper. Wow. 14-year-old Stephen. Um, it's then decided... Oh, God. Excuse me. That Stephen uh, should stand trial as an adult, which means he could potentially be sentenced to either life in prison or execution. The prosecution case is based on the fact that, because so, Lynn wouldn't hitchhike, they allege that Stephen never even made it to drop her off, and in fact, just had turned off into Lawson's bush, sexually assaulted her before killing her. So a fucking, there's a ton of witnesses saying the whereabouts, what they saw, when they saw them, that are children. It's um. like 11-year-old schoolmates, 14-year-old kids, and so both sides, the prosecution and the defense, call these witnesses to say what they saw. Um, so of course on the prosecution side, they're saying that these, you know, the kid who was walking home down the exact road, never saw them ride their bike past that, uh, kids who were hanging out at the bridge, never saw them and, or saw Steven alone. Um, and so one girl, little girl claimed that she was supposed to meet herself, meet him in the bush at the time that Lynn was allegedly killed. So he was supposed to be there anyways and probably was there, is what she said. Now, the, did they do any kind of um, questioning of these children where they said, are any of you liars, <laughs> do you, are, any of, are any of your pants currently on fire? Because <laughs> that sounds like I that know. grammar school bullshit where you're like, when you play telephone, it always ends up Dolly Parton. We're just like... <laughs> That's not what I said. Well, it's just so crazy because there's this really great um, documentary about it that I'll get to, but they talk to some of the kids and it's just like, remember the shit? You, these little kids are like, 
you know, before she was found, they're like, I saw Lynn and this was what happened. Or I saw Steven and you get really excited and you want to be part of it. Yeah. Cause you're 12 and it's, you know, or 47. Either way, <laughs> it's fun to be part of things. Right. Or yes. say like, you know, um, just get excited and spread rumors. Then the police come and talk to you and say, we heard you said this, and they can't be like, no, I lied and made that up. You yeah. just go with it. You and go with it. Little kids then also believe themselves these, you know, they, they convince themselves that this is what they saw. And they know they'll get in trouble right. if they are oh, lying. For and sure. then it just, you're like, well, the solution to that is lie more. Right. That was, that's always the thing. My things have rolled down to about. <laughs> Let's see. Like, they've done it in a way that's now making me look worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. It's like, a it's little just pushing my gut like up here and over <laughs> the top of the Sphinx in a way that... Did you know that's the new look? That's a hot look in Milan right now. <laughs> mm. Yes. Can I ask you, this might be the problem, it, it might be user error, because <laughs> I'm always like, well, we're buying Spanx, I should buy them in a size too small, because then they'll do what they're supposed to do. Girl... That's not what you're supposed to do? No. Okay. Well, then it's user error. Apologies to Spanx. <laughs> you guys well, you, are doing a great job. The best way to do it is you get the Spanx that come, they're turtleneck Spanx. <laughs> they just come right up here. God damn, they work so good. This is what I get for buying Spanx in a Spanx airport store. <laughs> Literally. It's like, you know, you used to roll your socks down as a kid. Yeah. That's what's happening to my Spanx. Well... Up until this point, though, you were really holding your face together well. I feel like you were like, really, your core was engaged yeah. and you were just like trying to make it work. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I was yeah. there. Well, but still, I also like to know the personal stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to lie about my gut situation. I mean, you can't. I can't. I want to lie about my gut situation every day. And I just... <laughs> to your, myself. It's just how it is. You know? Also, if, I mean, if we're going to be honest, part of my, uh, my little half sock that I'm wearing in these is just rolled down and it's now <laughs> almost all the way to my Do toes. Do your socks match? All the way to Yeah. Oh, shit! Look. That's the most uncomfortable. Both of us need a, need a minute to fix our situations. Jesus. Also, I'm covered in I know! Can, listen, someone, I brought this rug from home, as Can I said. Can you close the curtain? <laughs> people <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the humor comes in Ugh. of this podcast <laughs> or does it or does it <laughs> how you doing listen i leave <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck i walk out through the house god damn it. <laughs> okay with your microphone yes <laughs> swearing into the microphone the whole time <laughs> okay so part of, okay, so part of their big theory, the prosecutions, and really what seems to have turned the case and made it the strongest was, okay, so the theory was that um, Stephen never dropped Lynn off, as he claimed, and actually between 7 and 7.45 is when he killed her. So this time frame is super important because pathologist John Penniston. Sure. Smelled, spelled, smelled, <laughs> spelled penis tan. Oh, okay. Why don't you just pronounce it that way then? It's fun. <laughs> I mean, listen. Look. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I haven't grown up. Also is... What? Say it. Do it. Go. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go down the long slide of penis tan jokes. I just feel like... How many are there? <laughs> 
<laughs> I've got about 47 wow. in, the, in the chamber right now. I'm not familiar. No, no. So he, pathologist John Penniston, conduct, conducted the autopsy of Lynn. He testifies that, so he does the thing where he figures out what she's eaten by uh, knowing when how much food has been digested when she died. So he said between 7.15 and 7.45, because of the food that she had eaten, that's when she died. That's his exact time, which even by today's standards is fucking insane. You can't do that. You can't figure that out? You mean no. that exactly? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. So it's kind of one of those bunk science things now, like blood spatter and all this. It feels like everything's bunk I know. now. I know. They're taking it all away from us. Yeah. What happened to my fibers? Yeah. God, I love, I love when they find a fiber and then they're like, this cat hair fiber matches this cat hair fiber. Cat hair fibers. I can lock them up. <laughs> the, fi the fiber, the red fibers. The it's fucking green carpet in his apartment. Okay. Da -da 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 -da. They also had shoe prints near the body and they say they seemed to match Stevens, but they hadn't taken any measurements or plaster casts of it. Hey, why bother? <laughs> Just execute the 14-year-old and get on with it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's fuck. That's going to be our tagline. <laughs> The shirts just get worse and worse with these two. You can't wear that to Thanksgiving. And then the tattoos start happening. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> this is our job. I know. It's crazy. It's so good. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. I used to eat cupcakes for a living on TV. <laughs> and now this. It's pretty fucking awesome. Okay. The thing is, we don't even do it right. <laughs> <laughs> well, who said I ate cupcakes right? You bit, were you one of those ones that, like, you bit and spit immediately? <laughs> no, I ate the whole thing with the wrapper on it. <laughs> is that right? Wrapper's like edible. Like a goat. <laughs> you just keep chewing. <laughs> spit. Um, oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Professionals. Professionals. As for the defense, they had their own child witnesses, of course. Uh, Did you know, sorry, I just heard about this recently. Did you know at the end of World War II, Hitler had a child army that was fighting people? No. <laughs> Did I dream that? <laughs> no, I think because so many of the men of age were dead and they had lost so many lives. They were sending out, you know, like the Hitler youth where they were really into exercising in yeah. the thirties. And they were just like, put on a coat and grab a gun. Now you're going out there. Fuck. Pretty sure. Watch the history channel. It's not my, <laughs> it's not my area. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I just love the phrase child witness. Like I'm already like, no, I don't need that. No. I don't need that witness. And then, um, I was at the bridge. And get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so they, this, these child witnesses <laughs> said that they had been on or near the bridge and actually had seen Stephen on the bridge. And at first, the prosecution was like, no way you could have seen him from that far away. And then they went and were like, oh, I see how you could have seen him from that far away. Now yeah. it all makes perfect it sense. It all makes perfect sense. Yet still, we might execute you. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, and so that all checked out. 
witnesses also noted that Stephen, who, who went, who met his friends at, by eight o'clock, seemed totally normal when they saw him. Um, and no one had seen Stephen entering or leaving the wooded area where Lynn was killed. Okay, so the, despite all of this, on September 30th, 1959, after a trial that lasted 15 days, the jury found Stephen guilty. What? At that time, um, <laughs> and you know how they announced it? How? It was like, my mother, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what if there was a, ch- a child judge? Yeah. <laughs> it's like fucking Bugsy Malone from the 80s. It's just children. Oh my God. Uh, sorry. No, never be. I mean, I start now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, us, not you. Karen. <laughs> Okay, so the criminal code required that a death sentence be imposed for murder. So the the trial judge, imagine being 14, the judge says to you, you're going to die by hanging. What? Death by hanging. Um, the, he appealed his conviction, unanimously dismissed the appeal. So uh, then, the, uh, then they, they commute it to just life in prison. Uh, so Stephen spends a decade in prison and then he's paroled, um, in October 21st, 1969 at age 24. So he gets out. (laughs) And immediately gets drafted into Vietnam. Sorry. (laughs) That would be a bummer. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just running bad scenarios in my head at all times. Sorry. I mean, that's so fucked. (laughs) It's his whole life. You go to jail when you're 14 and you get out when you're 24. I know. But then Lynn died at 12. It's so hard. True. And then what if he... Okay. Okay. And I don't know. I know. None of us know. And every... I think that all of Canada is like... It's like half and half who believes what happened. That he did it or he didn't do it. Right, well, guys? We're going to take a poll after. Yeah. Yeah. You have a little piece of paper under your chair. Yes or no? <laughs> Next to the gun. All we want to know is yes or no. <laughs> don't mistake the two. Yes, please. Whatever you do. I know you guys aren't familiar with guns. <laughs> They're not pens. <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen goes lives under an assumed name shuns all publicity for three decades he marries has three children then in a 2000 episode of The Fifth Estate which is a really fucking good show I somehow knew that you guys would love it because every <laughs> article I read about this was like The Fifth Estate The Fifth Estate and it was fucking good. it's a Canadian show yeah and so he finally breaks his silence and he and he's on the whole show, like, narrate, telling everyone what happened, telling the stuff, and all these, like, the kid witnesses are uh, interviewed as adult witnesses. <laughs> they're still kids. <laughs> they're, it's all Benjamin Button situation. <laughs> or there's, what if the adults are like, um, and then I saw Steven. They're like a 49-year-old man. <laughs> Jerry, focus, please. You have to look into the camera. We've told you seven times. Stop what, eating what? Pez. Oh, do you have candy? <laughs> Um, okay. So, Fifth Estate's investigation highlights serious problems with the forensic evidence and showed that police were too hasty in laying charges in two days. In Whereas, two days. Yeah. Um, so, in 2000, by 2006, uh, around this time, the scientists are like, wait a minute, we don't know, even now we don't know um, when food breaks down in the stomach because it's based on so many things, age, gender, diet, stress level. All these things. So uh, one of the forensic dudes was like, uh, really all we can tell is what they ate. That's all we use this for at this point. <laughs> so they don't even use it. And, it, and then it can, it can be um, 
can other so this the Mr. Penis Tan what what all of that and you landed at Penis Tan well that's where everyone wants to land really it's kind of sounds like it's the dirty country next to Afghanistan. <laughs> penis it's like tan. when you're a kid and you make fun of where people are from because you're a horrible person and an <laughs> unreliable witness. You're like, P- you're from Penis Tan. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or kids mean to everyone? Or yes. In Canada, are they do? Are they <laughs> no, all the children are lovely here. Okay. So years later, uh, in like the 60s, Penis Tan tells, <laughs> says, yeah, I was probably wrong about that. It could have been as much as two hours later when she actually died. Dude. I know. Get it together. And then other, so then these days they examine the original evidence and conclude that Lynn may have died as late as 24 hours after being with Stephen. So it's a big window. We don't use that science anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and originally, I don't want to keep saying penis tank because I know it's an old joke at this point. You're, You're forced. I mean, in this, so Dr. Penniston originally offered two different times. Originally, he was like, could have been this time, could have been that time. And then it wasn't until they, they figured out when Stephen would have killed her that he settled on that time um. frame, too. And it seems like he was like, had a change of heart at some point about not being a horrible person and came it back on like that. It sounds like he's just as suggestible as those child witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> he was a child forensic pathologist. <laughs> oh, shit. They should not let eight-year-olds be forensic pathologists anymore. Never again. Doogie Howser? Don't. You ruined it. No. Okay. After, um, so Truscott's always um, maintained his innocence. He, okay, in prison, he voluntarily submits to doing prison psychiatric probes, including truth serum and LSD. Wow. Which I'm like, I'll do that too. I mean, if you're in prison, (laughs) hell yes. But he was so adamant. I mean, think of it. This is not a time when people were stoked about doing drugs. Well, as far as he knew, the 60s. Right. Not mystery drugs. Right. Yeah. But he was like, they were like, you know, if we give this to you and you actually did did stuff. I don't know if you guys have been on acid before, but you're going to fucking talk about it. And you're going to laugh about it. Yeah. And you're a monster. (laughs) And Uh, it won't end for like 12 (sighs) hours. It's so irritating. Yeah. And you're in prison? And you're in prison on acid. bummer. The last time... Look, don't do acid. It's so lame. But the last time I did it... (laughs) (laughs) Long ago. I was laying in bed and I couldn't sleep. All my friends were asleep. Every All the fun had ended hours before and I was laying in bed looking at spinning goofy faces how fucking like hacky goofy is that Mickey goofy, Mouse yes the dog oh, what a bummer yes You're like can I at least see something Just cool spinning and I was like uh, my arms crossed like I'm so lame <laughs> I love that you're even an, you're, you're a critic of your own fucking <laughs> yes vision lame stupid stupid this is too commercial <laughs> 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 Where's the local art that can spit? In- <laughs> oh my god! Basically, he's like, I don't fucking do yeah. it. Give me any drug you want. Give me all the acid, and I won't fucking. Does sodium pentothal really work? That's the truth serum, right? It does on me. <laughs> Let's find out right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I take it, and it's a, it's acid. It's oops, it's acid. <laughs> oh, I skipped that up. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I already said da, 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 da. <laughs> so, Association in Defense of the Wrongly Convicted, they work to get federal justice ministers 
minister to, op- to reopen the case. And on August 28, 2007, 48 years after the original trial, the Ontario Court of Appeal unanimously overturns um, Stephen's conviction, declaring the case a Thank miscarriage God. of justice. Half the crowd is applauding. Half the crowd is not applauding. Yep. Loudly. I have a really great ear for how many people are applauding at once, and I can tell it's 1,500. Was it 15? Mm-hmm. Not 1,503? <laughs> nope. Mm. Oh, but it was actually 14, like, 98, <laughs> because that couple got in a fight and didn't come. Yeah. <laughs> they, they never made it. They couldn't make it. They he were... was like, murder isn't funny. <laughs> She's like, you don't get it! They, they also talk about cats. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, miscarriage of justice, and, okay, uh, this is a really big point of contention for the people who, uh, the other 1498 people, <laughs> another couple got in a fight too, uh, on your side. He, Stevens awarded 6.5 million in compensation. Holy shit. Yeah, and so clearly people are pissed about that who believe he did it. Oh, yeah. As well as the fact that you know, it's given... Okay. Okay. Okay, so there, uh, the possibility of other subjects, suspects weren't looked into, and that's one of the reasons he got all that money. So two of the other suspects... Um, so Sergeant Barry Rule wrote a book called A Viable Suspect, and he zeroed in on this dude who was a traveling salesman, and he was considered a person of interest in other violent cases. And he had a ton of connections, including similarities in the car that, uh, for fuck's sake, that scared the shit out of me. That was very jarring. Yeah. Steven. Stop it. Stop rubbing your mustache on a <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I'm sorry, Steven, that was particularly harsh. I didn't mean, I didn't mean it. It really wasn't. I, oh, wasn't it? Do you okay. hear anything I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I screamed at our audience last night. I I told the millennials, I said the word stupefied. I said the word stupefied and like easily 100 children yelled back Harry Potter. (laughs) I still don't think that's what they were saying. It was what they were saying. Are you fucking kidding me? Yes, because then when I said, are you yelling Harry Potter? They all cheered. And then I was like, that's why people hate millennials. That's the dumbest thing I've ever... It was fucking dumb. Do they know stupefied was a word before Harry Potter? <laughs> Whoa! I knew that was gonna happen. Oh no, yeah, Harry Potter's here? Are you so it. mad? Expecto stupefied! Oh my god. <laughs> it's okay. It's Guess my what? Rug. The rug is ruined. It's just my You're rug. You're all fired! You just flung water in my face. Did I really... <laughs> This thing is falling apart. It's okay. I've actually spilled it on myself multiple times tonight. I knew that was going to happen. I just thought it would be me. Historically speaking, (laughs) that's kind of me. Shit, sorry. My thing. That was, I'm stealing your bit. Can you not? (laughs) Okay. The car. Guys, focus. Get it together. <laughs> the car that this dude, and he gave a fake name for the dude because he's dead and he didn't want to. The traveling salesman? Yeah. Okay. He, the car was similar. Um, he owned a 1959 Chevy Bel Air. And he, the same, he was in this area the evening Lynn went missing. He also said he would have known the Clinton area because he was a traveling salesman. And um, he, similar shoe, shoe size. Oh. So he, ha- he he died before the investigation, and then 
Um, sorry. <laughs> okay. There was a farmer who owned the property where um, Lynn's body was found, and he said he saw a strange car parked near his fence the night of the girl going of Lynn going missing. And um, the officer on duty, who was near the Royal Canadian Air Force Base, wasn't interested. And he also testified that the girl who said that um, that Stephen was supposed to meet her at the bush came to her later before the trial and said, can you tell them, the time you keep telling them you saw the car, can you change that for, to an hour before? She's 12, so she's like, can you do me a favor? Like, Why? Because she, she wanted to fit with hers? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, she, and this she, grown man was like, no one, I'm going to go tell on you. <laughs> She's like, well, then you're not invited to my birthday party. <laughs> it's fucking bananas. Another suspect. Um, so there was an Air Force sergeant named Alexander Kalichuk. He was a heavy drinker, history of sexual offenses, lived within a 20-minute um, drive at the base. And Stephen and Lynn both lived at the base. About three weeks before Lynn's murder, he had tried to lure a 10-year-old girl into his car. Um, I think a couple towns over. In the mid-60s, a file is uncovered that detailed that he had been psychologically evaluated as a sexual predator and potential killer. Wow. And he had two counts of indecent exposure on record before ever even arriving in Clinton. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He was waving it all around. Yeah. Swiss cheese. Swiss cheese pervert. <laughs> I'm surprised so many people remember that incredible story. <laughs> the best story of all time. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, there's a man somewhere in the East Coast that likes to get into his car, not wear pants, hold up a piece of Swiss cheese, and trick women into looking at it, and then he's jerking off behind it. We're not tricking you guys, right? The people who don't know this story, we're not tricking you. This the, is real. There's pictures there's of him doing it. Pictures and there's people who wear Halloween costumes of this man. <laughs> Look it all up. This is our gift to you yeah. for and later. And then call us insensitive. Yeah. I was just fucking, you were a nurse for Halloween. <laughs> wow, I got real angry at the crowd. I know, you were mad. <laughs> listen. Look. <laughs> Look at listen. All right, and then there was also another man, electrician, with a conviction for rape who worked regularly at the base and knew the Harpers, Lynn's family. Um, okay. So tons of choices. Tons of choices. Take a couple extra days before... I mean, just mull it over Steven. for one second. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Oh, no. Okay, but here's the thing. Lynn's family, this poor family who's been through so much, including all these this stuff with Stephen and still haven't found the gotten justice, they still believe that Stephen was the murderer. Yeah. And they also never told their aging father about the the verdict and the money because they were like, he couldn't yeah. handle it. Of course not. So yeah, that'd be horrible. That's the murder of Lynn Harper. Oh, so oh I have a photo of him and her as kids. Oh, really? Or is that too much? Let's see. Well, I guess Stephen's deciding. <laughs> That's Steven. That's him? Yeah. He kind of looks like an adult. Yeah. He's a big kid for a 14-year-old. And then let's look at Lynn. Oh. Little baby. So that's that. Wow. Yeah. That's a... Uh, Thanks. I hope to God... I mean, like, these days, it's very likely that someone can start a podcast where they're like, I'd like to know what happened, and then they could actually figure it out. 
Like people oh, are absolutely. doing that all the time now. Yeah. That'd be amazing. For sure. Someone did that. It's like authors being like, yeah, that was us until 10 years ago. <laughs> you fucking asshole podcasters. They're like, would you just read off that paper? That's yeah. right. <laughs> and we're like, start a podcast. And maybe you can then tell. It doesn't, it's not that hard. I just want to know the answer. I know. I, I hate th those kinds of things. I know. Just like, That's why I do them is because I hate them and I love them. Yeah. No, I fucking. It's like a puzzle. Because I'm, yeah. Oh, it's. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's clear. I almost said. <laughs> Wow. Hey, do we have time for a I think we do. hometown murder? Don't we? Will you look up? Make sure Vince isn't like waving at us because I can't see. Are you okay? Can I just flash you on my underwear? <laughs> okay, wait, let me right, have to pick someone out. I get time. We just want to hear a hometown murder. Now, listen, here's some rules. rules. We've, learned, we've learned this Not over yet. the years. You have to listen. Um, <laughs> you can't read off a piece of paper. You have to tell it. Uh, like it actually happened to you. Um, you can't be super drunk. You can be lightly <laughs> drunk, but you can't be like slurry or pausey drunk where like it's uncomfortable Thanksgiving drunk. We can't have that. Um, it's fun if you have like a fun personality, but you don't have to have a huge personality. We, uh, we prefer you don't. You know what? And then... We've run out of time. <laughs> okay, bye you guys. <clears throat> All right, and now I'm picking and I'm scared. You guys, listen. Karen's letting me, I hear you. Karen's letting me pick now. And yeah. so don't fuck this up for me. Yeah. Is all I'm asking. Don't wave your arm if this you just dude. got half a game. We never have a dude. Yeah, 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 you. Sorry, we're having a dude. Fix your sock. Oh shit, he's pointing. Uh-oh, he's got a big, make it, Steven, go, there we go. <laughs> Thank you, Steven. Uh -oh. oh no. Hi. Hi, what's your name? I'm Sean. Don't ruin this for me, Sean. I Hi. won't. <laughs> Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Okay, take center stage. Center stage. All right. Say hello to everyone. Sean, hold on. We are All right. Where are you from? Deep right. I am from Bala, Muskoka, or like Bala, Ontario, Muskoka. Awesome. Where is it on the mitten? Oh, up over there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So it's about yeah, 200 kilometers. Kilometers. Toronto. Okay. All right. All right. So I don't actually remember the names of these people. Oh, Jesus. Well, then you're in the right place. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. So it involves uh, a man from uh, Bracebridge, Ontario. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, <laughs> so he moves to Toronto, and uh, he's a, a bodybuilder, and he wants to be like a fitness instructor and everything. Uh, and then he meets uh, this uh, high school dropout uh, exotic dancer drug dealer. Yes. Said great. very good, well. Good, good, good Off to a great start. Good yes. combination. Here we go. And uh, so they hit it off, they get together, um, and then they start partying like there's no tomorrow, cocaine everywhere, just <laughs> great times all around. <laughs> well, times, yeah. okay. Uh, they end up actually fighting so much after a little while that they get kicked out of multiple apartments, mm -hmm. and um, then he eventually gets arrested or um, up on charges for something. So he does the best thing he can do, and he skips town to go and live with mom and dad, and he brings the the woman with her. The mom and dad don't like him or don't like her. <laughs> they they, they, like they kind of like him. They don't like the exotic dancer drug dealer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know. Go okay. figure. I mean. Uh, so from there, uh, after a little while, they get their own place, and then they get kicked out 
And they, yeah, they a bunch of other places. Uh, it was actually so bad they're fighting that uh, a landlord gave them nine hundred dollars to move out. Fuck! <laughs> That's never happened in the history of apartments. No. <laughs> I'm gonna try that next time. I wanna yeah. break a lease. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they actually ended up having a kid at this point, and uh. Uh, so and like I said, they were fighting. Um, <laughs> She actually assault, uh, got a charge with assault on him because he threatened to call child services because uh, she was apparently a bad mother. Uh, so <laughs> his fatherhood had nothing to do with it. No. Yeah. Okay. Not, nothing. Okay. Um, so uh, she starts getting bored of him, starts sleeping around, uh, and then actually develops a plan to move. Uh, but <clears throat> they were behind on rent so much that he actually had to go to court. And like do a bunch of legal stuff. So she she got her she got her shit together and uh, planned to move out. She, uh, on the day that she was m- planning to leave, uh, he had to go to court. But he came home early, caught her, mm. and uh, they got fighting. Obviously, <laughs> as they do, as they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, what ended up happening was he ended up. Uh, hitting her in the head uh, about three or four times. After the first time, she actually tried to block the the blows and ended up bla- breaking some of her her uh, hand bones. All right, so from there, uh, af- she's obviously dead after the fourth or fifth blow. Oh, okay, right. I'm sorry. Okay. Spoiler alert: she dies. Okay. Um, Shit. Um. So he does what any rational person would do: is he goes to Home Depot and buys four or five gallon drum uh, mm. buckets. And lit matching lids. And uh, now he's uh, working for a construction company at this point. Mm-hmm. So he's, uh, he goes out, puts the body in the trunk with the four, the four bins, and drives out to uh, a former customer's place. It's a cottage. No one's around. It's March, I believe, at this time. And uh, so, yeah, no one's around. Cuts up the body, puts it in the pails, Calls a friend, says, hey, man, I got to get out of my place. Can I store some stuff in your storage no. locker? Oh. <laughs> Can I store some buckets? <laughs> Don't worry, the lids match. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> oh. Always. Always. Uh, so while he's working uh, on another job at a different cottage with uh, the guy, he... Uh, ends up sneaking, sneakily building a crate in which to store these four buckets. <clears throat> From there, uh, so over the course of the time, he builds this crate, puts the buckets in, seals it up, leaves. Three years later, the crate was noticed oh. by the homeowner. <laughs> oh, my God. Where was it? In the backyard? No, no, like, so it was like, uh, uh, it was kind of like over, uh, so there's a porch kind of thing, and there was like a crawl space. Yeah. So it's so, like next like, to the house. So in the no, ha- no, it was under the house, un- under the porch. Ooh, he, so he was working on the house, and he was like, oh, yeah, I fixed that I fixed that, that thing. thing and you then he me to fix. puts and... a dead body into the house, essentially. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. So, <laughs> You're like, yeah, 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 yeah I'm telling that's you. The story. Yes, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, three years later, uh, the homeowner knows this crate, uh, and he asks uh, this, his handyman around from the, uh, that works around the place, Hey, what's what's this crate doing? He's like, I don't know. Uh, and cracks it open and smell of death. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. Oh my God! So who was 
Please right now say, I'm that handyman. Yeah! Even if you have to lie, it's the best ending of all time. I'm that handyman. Yes! (laughs) No, no. How? So he he got really stupid with, uh, because he said uh, the, the guy that killed... The, the, his, uh, girlfriend. He actually used his, her cell phone for calls, sold her clothes. Oh. Cause he, he did initially say that she just ran away. Right. But, uh, so they eventually tracked back to back, uh, back to him. Uh, and he was convicted in May 2013, uh, with, for, uh, he got, uh, charged with, li- uh, second degree murder. So that's automatic death, or not death, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. Yeah. Uh, uh, automatic life in prison uh, with a uh, chance of parole after 17 years. So mm-hmm. he's eligible for parole in 2013, or 2030. Mm. Wow. Well, good. Wow. So that's... That was great. That, that's what yeah. I'm doing, murder. That was amazing. <laughs> now, now you don't have to read that one, because I emailed it to you. Oh, no. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you. That was great. Great job. job. Thank you. Yes. That's how you tell a hometown murder. You can just take your time and tell it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm giving you shit. Yeah. You guys. No, no. Lights down. My God. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. This has yeah. been really incredible. I mean, it really is so yeah. fun. But it's so cool that we get to do this exact thing and you want to come and see us do it live it's ridiculous it really is we're lucky we fucking love canada you guys are all (laughs) so supportive of us from the very beginning thank you so much thanks for coming out thanks for getting the tickets thanks for making the effort thanks for listening for as long as thanks for listening so long that you know i fucked up paul bernardo thank you (laughs) and the swiss cheese guy (laughs) (laughs) thank you guys so stay sexy and don't get murdered Bye, guys.